We're going to be in Revelation chapter 22, and I want to begin in verse 7. I'm just going to read this passage. Um, I think as you read it, I want you to pay attention to what Jesus says. You should always pay attention to the Bible, of course. But Jesus says something, and he repeats himself a couple of times. Jesus being God, he doesn't have to repeat himself. He can say it one time, that's all he needs to say. But when he says something two or three or four times, we might want to pay attention to what he's got going on because he's trying to tell us something. And I'd like you to listen to that as you hear me read this. When I ask you if you're able to stand, stand with me as we read the Lord's words. This begins in Revelation of Jesus Christ, the 22nd chapter, the 7th verse. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Then saith he unto me, See thou, do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets. And of them which keep the sayings of this book, worship God. And he saith unto me, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according to as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates into the city. For without are dogs, sorcerers, and whoremongers, and murderers, and idolaters, and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things, In the churches, I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is athirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Pray with me, please. Lord, I'm just going to ask for you to help me this morning as I preach a magnificent passage of Scripture. Help me to bear the weight of this passage on the people that are here. Help them see the grace and the mercy and the love that is expressed here, but help me to help them to see the danger of ignoring what Jesus has said to them three times in this passage. Lord, help us. Help me. Help me to preach with your Holy Spirit's power. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You all can be seated. 
Jesus mentions in this passage a phrase three times, behold, I come quickly. The third time, to be fair, he actually says, surely I come quickly, but it's essentially the same uh, sentiment that he is expressing, but three times, verse 7, verse 12, and in verse 20. The statement that he makes is a statement of surety. He says, I come. It's going to happen. There's no question. There's no doubt. If there is doubt in your mind, it's simply because you do not believe that Jesus is telling you the truth. And if you're believe, if that is the way you believe, if that is the, the attitude of your heart, I'll just be honest with you, the rest of this sermon is going to be of no use to you except the Holy Spirit comes into your heart and convinces you of its truth. But I want you to know when Jesus speaks, it's going to happen. If you trust Jesus, then you need to know that his return is a foregone conclusion. This is not something that is invented in Revelation. This is something that has been mentioned by Jesus himself all the way back in John chapter 14. He says, if it were not so, speaking of his going away and coming back, he says, if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. That where I am, there you may be also. So there is a statement of surety. What Jesus has said, he's coming back and it's going to happen. You can bank on it. Take it to the bank. It's going to happen. You can ignore the doubters that will undoubtedly come. In fact, they're already present with us. Peter says in 2 Peter 3, There shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their lusts, saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the creation. You might even be in your own mind among those scoffers, and I'm not trying to call you out because no one scoffed to me necessarily, but you know your own heart. Well, I don't think he's coming anytime soon. I'm just, and we, we, we kind of get to that point where we're just not even thinking about it anymore. You just almost, yeah, I know it's true, but Jesus said, I'm coming. He says, I'm coming. It's a word of surety. It's also a word of urgency. He says, I come quickly. He's not just coming. He's coming soon. The choir just sang that song, just any day now, our Lord is coming. And that's what the, that's what the Word of God says. Not, not just He's going to come someday, any day now. It might be today, it might be next week, it might be 10 years from now. I don't know, I'm not predicting a time, I'm not so foolish as to do that, but I will promise you that just any day now, He is coming, He will come. So there's an urgency to that. It's also a statement of attention in the first two instances, he uses this word, behold. He's not using that by accident. That's a word of saying, look out. Look at what I'm talking about. Pay attention to what I'm about to say. That's what Jesus would be saying if he were standing here talking to you. Listen to me now. He's trying to grab your attention by saying, behold. Behold. And the reason he's doing that is, you know why? I believe the revelation of Jesus Christ well certainly can be for anyone who will listen and heed the words here. I believe the revelation of Jesus Christ is a word to the church. Jesus even says that in the passage we just read. This is to the church. And he knows where you and where I am right now. He knows that we're asleep. He knows we're lazy. He knows we're off mission. I mean, good gracious, are we any better than the disciples? Jesus Christ is about to go to the cross. He's in the garden he is praying, literally praying his heart out. Blood is coming from his, from his temples. He is praying earnestly, intently. And what are the disciples doing but sleeping over in the corner? This is where we are as a church. We're not the first to do it. We won't be the last. The disciples, they literally saw Jesus and he's going up into heaven and he's telling them, y'all need to go out, tell the whole world about me. And they just watch him go. 
like watching a balloon just disappear off into the horizon to the point where an angel had to come down and said, why in the world y'all stand up here looking up into heaven? Why are you gazing? Acts chapter 1, verse 11. It's time for us to wake up and Jesus is telling us, behold, look at this, pay attention. Paul writes it this way in Romans 13, knowing the time that it is high time to awake out of sleep for it is now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. This is time to pay attention. So Jesus is giving us a word of surety. He is coming. He's giving us an urgent word. It's coming quickly. And he is giving us a word of attention. Pay attention to this. Because Jesus is coming soon, most assuredly that he is, most urgently that he is, most importantly that he is, because of that, there's a few things we need to do in this passage. In verse 7, he uses this phrase. He says that it's blessed or uh, happy or uh, blessed of God uh, is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Because Jesus is coming soon, church, we need to pay attention to prophecy. We need to pay attention to what the Bible says about the end times. Yes, we need to obey all of God's word. Don't get me wrong. If the Bible says it, we need to obey it. It doesn't matter what it makes you feel like. You do what the Bible says no matter what. But there is something that y'all need to recognize. You need to understand. You need to pay attention to the fact that we are indeed living in the last days. The time is short. We are living in the last days. Jesus says over in Matthew chapter 24, if you want to look at it on your own time or if you want to flip there now, I'm not going to read all of it, but in Matthew 24, he talks about in that passage from verse 3 to verse 15, he says, take heed, speaking of these last times, that no man deceive you. In one place he even says that when the Antichrist comes, if the elect could be deceived, he would be the guy to do it. If Christian folk can be deceived, the Antichrist could do that. And he's telling us in Matthew 24, don't let anybody deceive you. He said there's going to be many that come in Jesus' name saying, I am the Christ. And when they do come, they're going to deliver you, he says, up to be afflicted and you will be killed, he says. He says there's going to be many that are going to be offended and they shall betray one another. This is the last times. This is what happens in the last times. Can I just go ahead and tell you, it's getting ugly and it's going to get uglier. And this, by the way, I just want to be super clear, has absolutely nothing to do with November the 3rd. It was getting ugly before that. It's going to get uglier after that, regardless of who takes the White House or Congress. I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about your neighbors. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about this church. This is the end of time, and we need to pay attention. And Jesus says in verse 15, Matthew 24, verse 15, Whoso readeth, let him understand. So what we need to do is we need to keep the sayings, keep the sayings of the prophecy. I've been around church folk long enough that I know that we're all a little freaked out by the mark of the beast. I know we are, especially my, our, our brand, my, my background. We're all ooh, worried about whatever the new card is, new technology. Is that the mark of the beast? I know we're worried about that stuff. And I understand it to some extent. It's a kind of an unusual thing in scripture and we're not understanding about all what it is, but, but I think we can get a little too hung up on whether or not some new thing is the mark of the beast that I fear that, speaking of politics, 
if the right person come along, say the right things that make you happy, make me happy, we'd be willing to vote for the market for the beast himself. I believe we would. And, and I, what I want you to understand is that don't get so hung up on some, uh, some obscure portion of Scripture that you miss the overarching message of it all, is that we need to wake up and pay attention. Our Lord is in control, and He's in charge, and He's coming soon, and it's going to get worse before it gets better. And y'all quit with the conspiracy theories, and y'all quit with all the, the weird political stuff, and focus on the one that matters, and the, the whole testimony of prophecy is not about the antichrist it's not about who's going to take over this world it is about my savior about our lord he is the purpose of prophecy i think that we can start hating on certain people so much that we miss that fact that we need to wake up and pay attention that god is doing something one of the things that i have learned lately is sometimes when god's doing something y'all can shoot me if you want to you don't always like what he's doing. Sometimes it hurts your feelings. Sometimes it makes you mad. Sometimes it goes against what you think is your self-interest. But what we have to understand is that God is good all the time. I heard y'all say it before. Now it's time to believe it. Now it's time to live it. Is he good or is he not good? I think I'm worried too much about my loss of freedom, my loss of some. Thing that I believe I'm entitled to and miss that God has always, will always, and is at this moment working through his people. How do you know that? When you pay attention to the prophecy of the scripture, you look at what he says. You know what? We, at the minute, until, the, until he takes us out of here, which I believe in a rapture that will happen any moment, until that moment happens, he's got a purpose for his church on this earth. We may not be big, we may not be bright, and we may not be popular, and we may not be all that smart either. But Jesus is working through us, and he will continue to work through us. And the minute that we miss that, according to the Scripture, you go to Revelations chapter 2 and 3, and you'll see he'll take some candlesticks out. He will take them out of here. We need to pay attention to prophecy that God is working on us. Don't miss on how much, don't, don't, don't focus on so much how it used to be and what we want it to be, and we miss what God is doing right now. We need to pay attention to prophecy because Jesus is coming soon. We need to, because Jesus is coming soon, we need to worship the right things. You'll see there in verse 8. John, this is actually the second time that I think he does this. He sees an angel there and he starts to worship the angel. But in verse 9, that angel says, See thou do it not. Because I'm just your fellow servant. I'm just one of I'm one of the prophets. I'm just one of those people. He says, You do what the Bible says and you worship God. And I just want to remind you because it's right here in the passage and I can't ignore it and you should not either, that there's no preacher that needs your worship. He might think he needs your worship, but he doesn't deserve your worship. There's no politician that needs your worship. He might think he needs your worship, and you might even think he needs your worship. He does not. There's no tradition of the past that needs your worship. There is no denomination that needs your worship. There is no style of worship that needs your worship. There is one person that you were created to worship, and he is God. He is the one who came to this earth to die for you. Let me just tell you right now, Matthew Tilly, this man talking to you right now, I love you. I really, really love you. And I would do what I possibly can to serve you and help you in any way I can. But I'm going to tell you that I cannot do one thing to save your soul. 
All I can do is point you to the one who can. And by the way, I'm not even all that special in doing that because y'all can do the same thing too. I'm just trying to get you to see there is no person on this earth that you need to lift up on such a pedestal and to worship. You need to keep your eyes on Jesus. By the way, who's coming? Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And when He comes, He's the one we're going to worship through eternity. Can I get get y'all to see this? That if you don't worship Him now, y'all are going to hate heaven. If you don't want Him now, you're going to hate heaven. In fact, I would dare say if in your heart you're saying, and you'll never say this to me, I understand that, and I would, I'd be surprised if any of you would, but you know where your heart more than anyone knows it. But if you, were to say, if you were to be honest, you would have to say, some of you might have to say, you know what, I don't know about this worshiping Jesus stuff. I've got a lot of stuff on my plate right now. I've got a lot of things going on. I want to do these other things. And I want to tell you that if, I'm, if I understand the Scripture, if I know my prophecy like I think I do, Heaven's not your home. You need to worship God. You need to worship the right things because Jesus is the one we worship now and in eternity. Because Jesus is coming soon, we need to recognize that the end is near. Look with me in verse 10. Or rather, yeah, verse 10. He says unto me, he's talking to John here, says, seal not, up, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. It's actually in pretty stark contrast to Daniel. You go to the end of Daniel. Daniel is given a prophecy, some pretty confusing prophecies. You might have read it before, and it's, wow, it's some pretty wild stuff. But he says to Daniel in that passage, he says, go ahead and seal that up right now. It's not time for that. I don't want people to know about that just yet. And and he says in Daniel chapter 12, verse 10, he tells him, he says, listen, I I want you to seal that up right now, but there's going to come a time when the wicked aren't going to recognize that the end is near. They're just going to continue on. They're going to act like nothing's going on. But right now, I want you to seal this up because it's not time. But I, I know that the, the wicked are going to do that. The wise will pay attention. It says in Daniel chapter 12, verse 10, it says the wise will pay attention. They'll wise up and realize the end is near, and they're going to act different because of that. And he says, I want you to go ahead and open this book up. He says in verse 10, don't seal it. You leave it wide open. And by the way, can, can I just go ahead and tell you, you, if you have a copy of God's word in your hands, whether it's on a computer or a phone or in a piece of paper bound with leather or, or a board like mine is, you have this prophecy unsealed in your hands. And you know why that is? He says it there in verse 10, the end or the time rather is at hand. The reason you have God's word in your hand is because the end is here. And he says in verse 11, because of that, if you're unjust, keep on being unjust. If you're filthy, just keep on being filthy. You can go ahead and stay in your sin. You have all the information you're ever going to meet. Do you remember that that man? He was the rich man. Jesus told the story about the rich man and, and Lazarus. And that rich man, he was in hell he lifts up his eyes in hell. And he goes and he says, is there any way I can get word back to my brothers? Because I don't want them to have to end up in this place. And, and, and do you remember the word that came back to him? They said, they got everything they need. The prophets have already told them all this. They've already got God's word on this matter. 
And I will. They and I think at that time he's writing. He's only or talking about that. He's only talking about the Old Testament. You just have the Old Testament. You have enough information. Now you, to whom much is given, much is required. You have the entire canon of Scripture, sixty-six books. We're talking about five or six, five or ten thousand years worth of God's word given to you. You probably have five or ten of them on a shelf. And I want you to know that the end is near. Don't be ignorant. You can stay in your sin if you want to. I'd like you to see how that one works out. You know. If you don't know, open your book. You will see it. It's telling. You've heard it from this pulpit. I know for the last three years. I can guarantee you for the last 30, 40, 50, 75 years from this pulpit, from that pulpit, from the other pulpits that have been here. I know you've heard it. Staying in your sin will not end well. Abusing the bride of Christ will not end well. Living as if God don't care how you live will not end well. The scripture has told us plainly it doesn't end well. And we need to act like mama's coming home and mama told you some jobs to do and you ain't even picked up the vacuum cleaner. You need to go ahead and get on it, get to it. You don't have much time left. You say, well, Matthew, I'm already saved. It don't matter. Well, let's just go to the next page. I want you to look at this. Would you look at this? Look at what he says. Verse 12, behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me. You say, you just told me, Matthew, don't care. I'm saved. Don't matter how I'm, I'm going to heaven. Doesn't matter. And I'll go ahead and tell you, if you're trusting in Jesus, nothing can take that away from you. Not going not to shake that from you. But if you're trusting in Jesus and you're not living for him, you ain't going to have any reward. It's what he says right there. Look with me in verse 12 again. I'm coming quickly and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. This verse, by the way, has nothing to do with your salvation. You're saved by the blood of the lamb. Nothing more, nothing less. That's all that it takes. You must put your faith in Jesus. I believe that. But if you're a Christian, I think I'm talking to at least my message is geared towards those of you that are believers who already know that Jesus is your Savior. I'm talking to you to understand that Jesus is coming soon and you better watch how you live. Because if you're not going to watch how you live, you have to understand that the real judge, he calls himself the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning, the end, the first and the last. You will not have an appeals court. You will not have a second chance. You will not have somebody else. You can't go and ask your mama, mama, would you go talk to him for me? That can't work anymore. That doesn't help you anymore. There's only one who gives the answer to this. The real judge will give rewards. And just so you know, when we read rewards, when I hear rewards, I think lollipops and suckers and good things, right? Ice cream. That's rewards. But you know what? When he uses the word reward, the word rewards, he is both meaning positive and negative because there are we know that the wages of sin is death so there's negative rewards that is possible he says in verse 14 that if we do his commandments we're blessed so obedience to God is blessed and we're blessed by having access to the right to the tree of life that eternal blessing that will satisfy and fill our souls. He says that we'll be able to enter in through the gates of the city. We'll get to dwell with God forever where sin and the effects of sin no more will reign. We get to be there. We get to enjoy those kinds of rewards. But he says, for without are dogs. 
God doesn't allow dogs in the house. We have a dog in the house. I ain't God, just so you know. But in case y'all had any misgivings on that. It's funny, though, this, this idea that without our dogs, because in, in our culture today, dogs are positive. We like most people. I mean, there's, there's a few characters out that don't like dogs. I, I'm not real fond of my dog. I like some dogs. But, um, <laughs> but, but you got to understand that the dogs that he has in mind here are not, not your little chihuahuas and little pets and stuff like those little fuzzballs that y'all call dogs. Those ain't even dogs, by the way. But uh, anyway, that's not what they're talking. That's not what he's talking about there. He's talking about street roving scavenger. It's full of diseases. Street roving scavenger that creates disruption and problems. He says those kinds of people are the ones that are sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters. They are the ones, sorcery, it's certainly an allusion to the occult. But I think in our day and age, there's probably more that is the, the, the fact that it, it refers to drug use as well. The mind-numbing, mind-altering drug use that people give themselves over to. Whoremonger, not a word we use a whole lot these days, but we understand it to mean sexually impure. Who give themselves over to sexuality. Murder. I don't know if there's any murderers among us, but... Jesus says that if you have hate in your heart for another person, you've committed murder. Now, I know I'd rather you hate me than kill me. I I get that. But in Jesus' mind, in terms of the impact on your soul, in fact, on your rewards, not a whole lot different. Talks about the idolaters, those who would put something else in the place of God, and the liars, those who would manipulate, that would deceive, to get their way, whatever that might be get one over on you to make a financial gain, whatever. Those people who are satisfying themselves with their own means, those people will receive a reward. It's not going to be a good reward. My question there is what kind of reward are you going to receive? The question is not, is Jesus coming? He is. It's not that he's coming soon. He is. Not even that he's going to bring a reward because he is. It's the question of what kind of reward are you going to receive? Jesus is coming soon. You better watch how you live. Jesus is coming soon in verse 16. I want you to pay attention here that this is Jesus talking. He says, I have sent my angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Jesus is a lot of things, but what we see here that he is the one who testifies, the author of all of Scripture, the book that you hold in your hands, that Bible, that is Jesus is speaking to you. It's not some sacred text that we just hold up and read because it sounds good. We know that these words are the very words of God that come to us from our Savior, Jesus Christ. These are God's words. He's the reason. Jesus is the reason that everything exists. He is the root. There's nothing that comes before him. There's nothing that exists apart from him. He is the offspring. He is the God-man who came to die. He was the son of David. 
He was the man that was, that was rather God who came in robed in human flesh to die on the cross for our sins. The only one who could do it, the only one whose death ever mattered, the only one whose death ever really amounted to anything. This Savior is Jesus. And he is, as offspring of David, he's the everlasting king. <clears throat> he fulfilled the promised, promise of the seed. Go back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. There was a seed that was promised. This is Jesus. He fulfills that promise. He's the promise of the kingdom. In 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 16, there was a promise that there would always be a kingdom, a throne, the throne of David, that would be an eternal kingdom. Jesus is the one who eternally sits on that throne. This one who I can only, for the sake of time and the limit of my intelligence and my eloquence, I can only speak, say so much. But I want you to know that there is so much to say about Jesus. And he is the one, in verse 17, that we're invited to, and the Spirit and the bride say, come. God's people, and the Spirit of God, is inviting you to come to Jesus. Come to him now. You're invited to him as the only source of water. He says, if you're a thirst, come. You could take of the water of life freely. Jesus is the water of life. He is the bread of life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way. Everything that is needed, everything that we have, everything that is satisfactory is found in Jesus. What you need to do and what you're invited to come to is to drink deeply of Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming soon. Christian, y'all need to start getting satisfied with Jesus. Jesus is either important or he's not. By the way, he refuses to be your mascot. He refuses to be second fiddle. He refuses to be simply important in your life. He refuses, he refuses, he refuses to be that palate cleanser after you go out into the world and sully your taste buds with the sewage of this world and then say, you know what? I need a little something. Let me get me some Jesus to clean it off. That's not who Jesus is. Jesus satisfies your soul or he does not. One or the other. You Christians need to know that Jesus is coming soon. You need to be satisfied with Jesus. He's the satisfying one and he is the one that's coming sweet, coming soon. We also need to, in verses 18 and 19, we need to take the scripture seriously. It says in verse 18, in essence, we need to quit adding stuff to the Bible. You say, well, I would never do that. Yeah, you would. Yeah, you do. Jesus is talking to you over in Matthew 23. I don't know if you've heard me say this before, but I genuinely believe that the Pharisees of the time of Jesus, if they had lived in 2020 in North Carolina, they would be independent fundamental Baptists. They would feel right at home in a church like ours. And you say, oh, no, they would not. Yeah, they would. You go look at them. You go listen to them. 
They really liked their rules and their regulations. They liked their laws. They liked the way they added things to it. And Jesus says in Matthew 23, they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be born and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. Woe unto you, for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye that are them that are going that are going, entering to go in. What I'm afraid that too many of us are doing is we are adding to scripture. You don't consciously do this. I, I want to at least give you credit for that. You're not consciously doing it, because if you do that, you're called a heretic. But I don't think you're consciously doing it, but I think what you end up doing is you start saying, well, the way I do things, that's the way everybody ought to do things. Because I think it's in the Bible somewhere. I heard some preacher say it sometime. You start thinking, the way that I see the world is the way the rest of the world sees the world. If they don't, there's something wrong with them. We're adding to the Bible. And at the same time, we're doing what he says not to do in verse 19. We're ignoring the stuff that's clearly in there. Jesus says to him in Matthew 23 again, Woe unto you, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier things, or weightier matters of the law, judgment and mercy and faith. These things ye ought to have done and not leave the other undone. Ye blind guides. He says, you make the clean, the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within it's full of extortion and excess. I'm afraid there's too many Christians who will scream and holler and yell, and as they say, Bible thump but dare not crack it open and actually read what it says. There's some things that are still in the Bible. Trust in God alone. Love one another. Be kind one to another. That's still in there. Obey the Holy Spirit. That's still in there. Read and obey the Bible. I remember Jesus saying, deny yourself. I'm personally tired, and I'm looking at my own self when I say this, I am tired of my Christianity being all about me. He says, your, your Christianity is not about you. You need to deny yourself. Not about what your rights are, what people think of you. Where do you stand before God? Is God proud of what you just did, said, and acted, and what you thought? I would dare say that God, as he says to the Laodicean church, I'd just soon spit you out of my mouth. Y'all make me sick. I'm afraid of that, about me, and about you. But he says we need to deny ourselves and pick up our cross to willingly willingly, not just like if it happens, it happens. No, no, no. Willingly march to our death for the cause of Christ. Shoulder that cross with our head high knowing we serve a king and a kingdom out of this world. That stuff's in the book. The stuff that ain't in the book is your opinion versus your opinion and your thought and your thought and my man versus your man and your politician versus my... That ain't in the book. Nowhere in the book 
You can't find it. You're in contrast. You are in direct violation of Scripture when you put that stuff up to the, 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 the level of Scripture. The stuff's in the book. Love one another. All right, and if you read the Bible about that love stuff, it has nothing in the world to do with how your warm, fuzzy feelings and definitely nothing to do with what you say to one another. It has everything to do with what you actually do for other people. We need to take the Word of God seriously. We believe God's coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. We need to take it seriously. Look with me in verse 20. He which testifieth these things, and this is, of course, Jesus speaking here, he says, Surely I come quickly. Surely I come quickly. It's going to happen without a doubt. When I'm closing here, I'm closing, I know that, and I need y'all just to, to, to pay attention to what I'm about to say to you. I need you to listen to me. Jesus says, surely I come quickly. I want you to think, before you read another, ver another word in this Bible right now, think, how do you respond to that? What's your response to that? What is your thought to that? What is your natural thought? Again, nobody's going to project your thoughts on a screen. I'm not going to come ask you. I want you to think in your heart and in your mind, what is your reaction? Jesus says, I'm coming back, coming back soon. What's your thought? Well, some people respond with ignorance, a false religion. They worship the wrong things. They act like nothing in the world's going on. Let me just get through the next week. Let me get to retirement. Let me see some grandchildren. Let me see some great-grandchildren. Let me get that, that boat. Let me get that house. Let me get that next job. Let me do the next thing. They're acting like the world's going to continue on. They live the way they want to live. They say, I'm going to ple please myself. I'm going to go out into this world, and I'm going to drink the sewage of the world and say it tastes so sweet. I'm going to add to the Bible whatever makes me feel good because I want to make myself feel good. It's not about my soul. It's not about Jesus coming back soon. It's about me feeling good about my religion. And I'm going to add what I want to, take away what I want to. Like Thomas Jefferson, one of our founding fathers did. You find one of his Bibles and he has cut out all the parts he doesn't like. It's terrible. At least he had the gall to actually go ahead and do it. The rest of us want to pretend we want to keep our Bibles intact and we want to obey the parts we want. That's the response some people have. Some people's response is the last thing they want is to actually see Jesus' appearance in the clouds. And those handful of us that would say, yes, I do, I want to see him come, please come back. What we're looking forward to is relief from some, some debt that we have to pay, some trouble that we're in the middle of, some pain that we're feeling. That's not what he's coming back for. Yes, he's going to take all those things away. Don't get me wrong. But that's not what he's coming back for. He's coming back as the true judge of the earth with rewards. It's coming to an end soon. Can you respond as John does? Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Come on. And while I'm waiting, I'm going to worship you like you're here. I'm going to live for you like I care that you care about me. I'm going to act like what you said is true. I'm going to live a life that lives as if any moment now Jesus is coming back. Eagerly, humbly, faithfully, full of expectation and awareness. 
I'm going to invite you. We're going to, I think Vanessa is going to play the piano. I'm going to invite you to come and pray. If there's anybody that's here that knows if Jesus were to come back right now, if he were to say it's over, he were to draw a line in the sands of history and to say we're done now, what has been done has been done, and you are to live with every decision you've ever made, if you would find yourself in a position that you know that you are not saved, if you are not in Christ, if you know that your eternal home is not heaven because you have never trusted Jesus as your Savior, if that's where you are right now, I'm inviting you to come and pray and ask for salvation. I will hope, and I'm asking some of those that would, I would consider spiritual in our church, and you'll have to identify yourself as that if you would. If there are some that come, would you please come and pray with them? Praying with anticipation that we can help somebody this morning. But if you need salvation, I want you to come. Christian, if you're saved, but you're honest and say, you know, I'm not really ready. It's like when I was a kid and Mama would tell me to go vacuum and clean the bathrooms and do all that stuff. When she gets back, it needs to be done. And I hear the car door shut and it ain't started. If that's where you are, if that's where you are, I want you to come and ask the Lord to prepare you for his coming because he could come any minute now. He can come any minute now.